Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. I'm so grateful you're here today. Listen, if you're a first-time guest, just love to say welcome home once again. My name is Matt. My wife Jackie and I, we pastor this incredible group of people called Fountain Church. And uh, you picked a great day to come because we are embarking on a new series entitled Raised to Life. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to journey with Jesus uh, over the last few moments of his ministry here on earth. And I believe in turn, um, it has really the potential as we journey to change our life. And so uh, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse, you guys alive today? Luke chapter 22, we're going to start in verse 1 but then, or in verse 7, then we're going to jump down to 14, so don't judge me, okay? Here we go. It says, then, Jesus, then, the, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Everybody say sacrifice. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go make the preparations for us to eat Passover. Now drop down to verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. The setup was a little bit... Uh, like this, but not really like this. They, they were actually more lower to the ground, reclining at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it amongst you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Everybody say my blood. Which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who was going to betray me is with me on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them, or they began to question among themselves, which of them it might be who would do this, verse 24, as a dispute arose amongst them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus looked at them and said, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Everybody say benefactor. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. I want to speak to you today for a few moments around this idea of do not forget. Don't forget. Look at your neighbor and say, don't forget. Look at your second choice and say, you better remember. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I know the, the weight and the gravity of this message. Um, Lord, has the potential to change everything. I pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, I pray that you'd help me to communicate it in such a clear way, God, that would communicate your heart and that there would be a demonstration of your spirit's power in this place. God, I just thank you so much for your grace, for your glory, and for what you're going to do in and through us this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Well, as I was embarking on this journey, I'm going to fix this TV for you. Uh, as I was embarking on this journey... Uh, there's some, some great scholars that, that have done so much work on this stuff. Uh, Dr. John MacArthur, Tim Keller, um, just been a huge inspiration as I've been preparing this message. And I really believe this message is, is one that it may not be uh, the most exciting and entertaining for you, but I think it's necessary uh, for our communities for it to really dive, just take root 
on the inside of our heart. And I wanted to start off with a question. And the question is this. Have you ever done something or have you ever forgot something that ended up costing you? Am I the only human in here? Come on, second service. You guys got to sleep in today. It reminds me of a 67-year-old lady by the name of Sabine. Uh, she resided in Belgium, and she was uh, destined to pick up a friend of hers in Brussels, which really should only be about a 90-mile trip. So they're on this journey, or she, she's getting ready or prepared for this journey. She types in the address on the GPS, and she, she sets out. Well, what should have been a 90-mile journey ended up being a 900-mile journey. That's what I said. Like, how do you miss that? And she said, I had no idea I was going in the wrong direction until I hit Croatia. Thought from Belgium to Croatia, that's a long drive. And she says, she blamed it on her own amusement. She said, I was just kind of looking out. I, I guess I was absent-minded and I just simply listened to the GPS and I pushed the pedal to the floor and just kept going. And I thought, did you not see the hints along the way? Like the fact that you probably had to stop for gas multiple times. The time, right? Not to mention the language changing on the signs. Hello? But let's just say that day cost her a little bit of embarrassment and might have cost her a friend because that's a long wait. But I think we can all relate on this, this particular level where we, we have all done things that we have, or we have all had moments where we've forgotten something and it ended up costing us, haven't we? So, like, anybody ever left your lights on? And it ends up costing you a little extra money on the back end of the month with PG&E. Uh, what about anybody forget a birthday? And it costs you some relational equity. People are upset. What about keys? I'm chief of this. Anybody ever lose your keys? Costs me time all the time. Um, probably my most embarrassing moment. Probably the, the one moment that I wish I never would have forgotten. And some of you guys know this, but I'm, the rest of you guys who don't know this, I'm going to tell you. So we're sitting in a marriage counseling session. Me and Jackie, we're, we're, we're counseling another married couple. And I was explaining to them that our anniversary was August 21st, 2005. And the importance of remembering your anniversary because it's a reminder of the privilege that you have and the gift that God has given you. And so as I proceeded to communicate this, bright eyes are looking back at me. And Jackie is staring, smiling at me. And I thought, no way. August 21st. I forgot my anniversary. Some of you guys are looking like that's not funny. It wasn't, Jack, it wasn't funny for Jackie either. That should have cost me my life, but Jackie was super gracious to me. Praise God. But sometimes things cost us, and it's, it's, it's never because we want to be absent-minded. Sometimes we just forget. Life starts crowding in on, crowding in on us, starts screaming at us from multiple directions. I, I love this quote. Look at this quote. It says, life deals with us in the currency of the urgent, and its chief commodity is distraction. Is that not so true? And I think that really speaks to our tendency to forget sometimes. I think it speaks to our tendency that we tend to forget and we find ourselves worrying and being afraid over things that really have no eternal significance. We find ourselves being driven by jealousy by our own insecurities, by envy and pride, and we forget that there's so much more to life than those things. How about as a follower of Jesus, have you ever forgotten that you're just loved by God, that you're forgiven, that your future 
is in the hands of the God who created all things. It's all-knowing, all-powerful. It's a pretty secure spot. But sometimes we just forget. And it's not because we want to. But it just seems that the, the, the stress of life, the uncertainty of life, the pace of life leads us to this place of forgetfulness. Now, just as much as forgetfulness can cost us, how many of you guys know that remembering can save us? Just as forgetting or being absent-minded towards some things can cost us a high price, remembering some things can save us a whole lot of heartache, time, effort, pain, and energy. Can I get an amen on that? But this is what I think is so. This is what I think is so funny, and and I'm I'm, I'm really, I'm really grateful for to the Lord because I think sometimes we forget the most important things, the things that ultimately matter, and we spend a lot of our time doing things that really don't matter, and we don't forget those things, but we forget the really important things. And I'm so grateful to God that He gets it, that He understands that we have this propensity to forget. And so from the Old Testament narrative to the New Testament narrative, God is constantly reminding us of who he is. He's constantly reminding us of what he's done. He's constantly reminding us of the abundant life that he has called us to live and the hope and the future which he has prepared for us. And he's constantly having to remind us of him because he tends to be the one we forget the most. How is that even possible? If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. It's amazing how the one we forget the most is the one who can navigate our life the best. Isn't that so true? Like, why is God the first one to take the back burner all the time? And I'm just so grateful that he understands how we're wired. He understands that we tend and we're prone to forget. And so there's some things that the Lord wants to remind us of today. And he wants us to remind us of himself by way of looking at the cross. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. The first thing that the cross is going to remind us of today is that life is best lived with Jesus at the center. And this is going to drop us right into our text here in Luke chapter 22. This is pretty exciting. It's pretty amazing because it's the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. I mean, that's a pretty monumental moment. And Jesus is with his disciples and he wants them to catch some things. And he said, he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Like Jesus eagerly desires to be with his disciples and eat this, this meal called Passover before he suffers. Why is this so important before he suffers? Because Jesus just doesn't want the disciples to know what he's about to do. He wants his disciples to know why he's about to do it. Because how many of you guys know sometimes it's not what we remember, but how we remember it that can make all the difference in the world. And so he's getting ready to not just simply give his disciples some information, but rather he wants to leave an impartation because this is it. And he wants them to catch this so bad, this reality of what he's getting ready to tell them. And the disciples, they caught it, and it changed their life and ultimately change the world. And if you and I would lean in today, I promise you, it will do the same for us. And so it takes place on this night before Jesus was crucified at this meal in an upper room called Passover. Now, Passover um, was a meal that was celebrated. It went all the way back to when the people of Israel were enslaved to Egypt 1,500 years at this point. And it was, it was a meal that was shared before, the night before the Israelites were set free from the bondage 
and the tyranny of the Egyptians, out of slavery. And so, so here, God instructed them, I want you to once a year eat this Passover meal in remembrance of, of my, my salvation, in remembrance of my grace, in remembrance of my compassion, and how I brought you up out of that land, how I saved you when you were destitute, how I never forgot you. And so every year they would, they would celebrate this thing called Passover. Now, now, I think it's really interesting because Jesus is he's hanging out with his disciples. And you got to ask the question, like, what, what was so significant about this Passover? Like, like, why did Jesus, why was he so eager to have this conversation with his disciples now? Well, see, when you understand Passover, what would happen is this. Um, the head of the home would get up in that evening and would take the first glass of wine. And then a question would be asked. And the question was this. The youngest in the family would ask the question. They would ask, why is this night different from all other nights? And then they may read something like uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26, which says that God remembered us in our slavery, that he was mindful of our affliction and our suffering. He looked upon us. Or maybe they would flip to Deuteronomy chapter 16. And talk about how this bread was the affliction of our ancestors, the bread that they ate in the wilderness. And so after they put down the 2018 preserved Welches, um, they would continue with the Passover meal. So Jesus gets up to speak, but this time he changes the script. Like, time out, Jesus. We've been doing this for 1,500 years. You just don't change the script on Passover. Right? And Jesus gets up, and rather than making reference to something in the past, he's making reference to something that's going to happen in the future. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And Jesus was speaking about what was getting ready to happen with his death on the cross. And then he goes on, rather than saying, hey, this is the bread of the affliction of our ancestors, he says, no, this is the bread of my affliction. And just as this bread was broken... It needs to be broken to feed everybody here at this table. So my life needs to be broken. My body needs to be broken that you might be spiritually filled. My life needs to be poured out that you might be nourished, that you might be spiritually whole. And this night was completely different because unlike the original Passover, they celebrated this meal the night they were delivered from economic and political bondage. And Jesus said this night is completely different because this is the night before I'm getting ready to set you free from the ultimate bondage of sin and death, the ultimate Passover. And so, so they're sitting here, and, and they're, they're soaking all this in. It was probably a little bit confusing, like, what in the world is he saying? What in the world is going on? And Jesus is really wanting them to lean in. And what Jesus was saying was this. Listen, guys, all of history has been pointing to this moment. My death is the climax of human history. It's the very central and the very center of history. It's the, the one thing that all of history, all of creation has been waiting for, this climax. This is the moment. And they're probably still like, huh, what? What in the world is going on here? And it's so amazing because here it is. All of history has been pointing from Genesis, from the first sacrifice in the garden that God sacrificed the animal and clothed Adam and Eve 
from that point, there was this, God was pointing, all of history was pointing to this climactic moment of the death of Jesus on a cross. And I, I would propose to you today that not only is it the center of history and the climax of all of history, but it's also the climax of everything that our hearts have ever wanted or desired. That everything you could possibly want and long for in life, apart from Jesus at the center of it, you'll never hit a climax. You'll never hit the pinnacle. You'll never reach because there's only one that can satisfy ultimately. There's only one that can do such a work on the inside of you that your heart says, yes. And his name is Jesus. Because life is lived so much better with Jesus at the center. So my question to you today is this. Just a simple question as we start off. Who or what is at the center of your life? And I'd like to pose another question on the back end of that. Is it working? Is it working? I think we need to ask ourselves that question because it kind of brings things into perspective and focus. The second thing that the cross reminds us of, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. That the cross reminds us that Jesus' death completely restructures our relationships. How many of you guys are like, hey, man, I need some construction? We just got through a relationship series, ladies and gentlemen. Go back and listen. But it completely restructures our relationships. Now, now this, is, this is really huge to lean into. And, and Jesus is, is at the table. There, he's reclining with his disciples. And you got to just understand that the disciples, they weren't quite catching it. And a dispute breaks out. And look what it says in Luke. Luke chapter 22, verse 24 says, A dispute also arose among the disciples as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Like, guys, you're at the pinnacle of human history, the climax of human history, and you're still trying to figure out, hey, am I better? What's going on? Like, and Jesus is like, this is a great opportunity to show you how the cross is about to restructure your relationships. And I just love God's timing. Like, this is a perfect illustration. It's a perfect time. And God's like, I know. I planned it, right? And so Jesus is getting ready to let us in on a little insight that the cross just doesn't change us individually. It transforms us as a community. Like understanding the cross and when the reality of the cross penetrates your heart and your soul, it just doesn't bring you joy, life, hope, peace, all that good stuff. But it dramatically he was we engage with one another. In other words, Jesus was saying this. This is pretty special. He was saying that, you know, when you come down to, when you look at Passover, it was always celebrated with your family. You can go back to that next one. Go right back, Steph. Thank you. Um, Passover was always celebrated with your family. And Jesus kind of has the nerve to say, hey, guys, on this Passover, you don't need to go home. We're going to celebrate it together upstairs in the upper room. And we're going to see a great insight of, of what Jesus was trying to communicate in this particular moment. What he was saying was this. You're not just simply changed as an individual, you're dropped and planted into a brand new family. And it, it's super powerful and it's super special. Because a lot of times we think that the most tight-knit bond is blood. Anybody ever said that? Man, it's my blood. You're my blood. And you're like, you don't get along at all. You got some family like that? Like, you're my blood. I don't want to hang out with you. I don't like you, but we're blood. Right? But can I just tell you that blood doesn't necessarily bond. In fact, all of us have friends that, or family that we grew up with or that we didn't grow up with that we feel a lot more closer to a friend than sometimes we do family. 
Sometimes a friend can feel more like family than actual family because it's not the blood that bonds. It's the life experience. It's the common experience that you guys are doing life together. You guys are hanging out in the same home. You go to the same school. You're hanging out all the time. You're having the same shared experiences. And through that, a bond happens, right? Like if you're in the military and, and maybe you've been on a tour or, or, or something like that and you've been in the trenches, there's a bond that happens there that's unlike any other bond. I mean, because it's an experience that you share that's so transformative, it just, it just, unless people have been there, they don't understand. Like, if you're in the military, you know that. Like, you can see a military person, you're like, what's up? Like, they just don't understand civilians, you know. <laughs> but there's a bond there. There's a bond there that, that's so transformative. And what Jesus was saying is, those who have experienced the reality of the cross experience the greatest bond and more powerful than any other bond on the planet. It's the greatest bond ever. That's why I could be at Walmart talking with the checker. Like, mm, you're way too nice. There's something about you. You got to be a follower of Jesus, right? Yeah, and instantly, boom, bonded. In the Walmart checkout line. And Jesus was saying, it's such a bond. The cross is so transformative. It, it transforms your identity to such a deep level. There's no other bond that you will experience like the cross. The two people that have experienced the reality of the cross in their life will be bonded unlike anything else. So can I just tell you today, if you don't have family, or if you've been estranged from your family, or if you've been isolated from your family, can I say welcome home? Because there is a bond that goes far deeper than the blood. There is a bond that goes far deeper than common relationship. There is a bond that happens by way of the cross. And once again, I'd like to say welcome home. Welcome home. But then Jesus goes on to say, he says, so let me tell you how you relate to one another now. Let me take you guys to school. Come on, disciples. He said, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Everybody say benefactor. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. See, in this Greco-Roman culture, there was a patronage system. And it was basically, if you were upper class socially, you would help those who are less fortunate, but it was always with a price. You would only help somebody less fortunate if there was a benefit. And so if you were a benefactor, what you would say is, as I'm helping you, I will help you, but you owe me for the rest of your life. You owe me favors. It could be politically. It could be relationally. It could be financially. You are going to owe me and be indebted to me for the rest of your life, meaning I only associate with people that will bring me a benefit. And Jesus is saying this is how the world operates. Come on, if we're honest, this is how you and I operate sometimes. Like we only want to be around those relationships that are going to move us forward. And there's some, some health in that. But we want to be around people that can maybe take us to the next level or benefit us this way or help us that way. 
And there's some truth in all of that. But however, if we look at people as a means to get something, there's a distortion in the way we're relating to one another. And so the world says, hey, I'm going to befriend you if I can get something from you. God says, I'm going to transform you in such a way that your community is going to be so countercultural. The world is going to look at your love for one another like, what in the world? How do you love like that? How in the world are you? People always ask me, why do you do laundry love? If you don't know what laundry love is, on the fourth Sunday of the month, we go and we pay for people's laundry for two hours, no strings attached. We don't say, hey, we're Fountain Church. Hey, you got to come to our church and we'll do a load for you. No strings attached. How are you doing this? You should see the people that walk in. They look at us like, you want to pay for what? What's the catch? What do you want from me? That's how the world operates. There's no way you're giving me something for me. You have to be giving me something for you. No, actually we're not. It's no strings attached. Give me those quarters. Let me try this out, right? <laughs> right? And then week after week, week after week, they start to realize, what in the world? Why are you doing this? Because we want to wash the feet of our city. And people have asked me, well, Pastor Matt, isn't that a waste of money? Like, do they come to your church? They don't. Majority of them don't. Do they, do you get any type of benefit? You just go and spend the money? Yep, that's what we do. Why? Because we're not benefactors. God has called us to wash the feet of our city with no strings attached. What Jesus was saying is, is listen, the world loves people for their sake, but I want you, for, for, for its sake, but I want you to love people for their sake. It radically changes the way we relate to one another. All of a sudden, relationships, people don't become disposable. Up, on to the next. People don't become a means to get something else. It's like, no, we're in this. And Jesus said this. Jesus said, the world is going to know you by your love, not for yourself, but for one another. That they're going to look and just be like, how do you love each other? Not like weird, you know, but like a genuine, authentic love. And it's growing more and more rare. And it's such a testimony to the world that they look. And they're like, what? We see this in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there was, there was a demon-possessed slave girl, a blue-collar jailer, and a CEO woman from, Thy, uh, from Thyatira. I think it was Thyatira. Uh, a, a CEO woman that had houses all over the planet. There's no way on a social structure in their culture that they would ever hang out with one another at all. But the cross bonds them together in such a way that they're living doing life, celebrating, eating, drinking together, radically transforms our community. Can I just tell you, if you just did, can I push on you a little bit today? I've just been feeling like pushing recently, all right? If you're a first-time guest, this doesn't apply to you. But everybody else, listen, if you only dip into church once in a while and you're not connected in community, can I just lovingly persuade you that you want to take another look at the cross? Because he just didn't die to transform you individually, but he died to place you into a brand new community that will let the world know that he is alive. Come on, somebody, that's good. So, so thirdly is, is the cross. Uh, so let me ask you this question real quick. Do you tend to love people for your sake or their sake? Simple question. It's a great gauge. It's a great check. Let it sink in for a moment. Next thing, if you're taking notes, the cross, or Jesus wants to remind us of the cost of the cross. The cross wants to constantly point us to the cost 
that was paid. Now, let me, let me show you this passage in Luke chapter 22. Jesus goes on to say, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. A lot of times we don't talk about the blood of Jesus in church anymore. I'm not afraid to talk about the blood because it's so amazing. And it's so cool because he said, the cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You see, the main course of the Passover was a lamb. It was a lamb. And so let me take you all the way back to the very first Passover. How did we get the lamb? Like, what in the world is going on here? Well, all the way back to the first Passover, um, basically God was getting ready to set his people free. He raised up a guy by the name of Moses. We call him Mo around here. And he said, Moses, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and let him know to let my people go. Prince of Egypt, come on, hashtag. Hey, let my people go, right? Got to do a little musical with it. Come on, let's have fun. It's church. It's Sunday. It's fun day. And so, so Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, hey, you got to let God's people go and stop being, you know, oppressive and stop murdering people and slavery. It's not a good deal. God wants you to let it go. Pharaoh says, no. Yes, no. Yes, no. They go back. Finally, God says, okay, one place, one night, my angel of justice is going to pass through this land. Pharaoh doesn't want to let go. All right, it's time for that, you know, that uncle. Uncle, uncle, okay. <laughs> but it was a lot more serious than it was a lot more serious than that. And people were gonna die that night. Because God's justice doesn't play favorites. It was interesting, this just wasn't bent towards the Egyptians. The Israelites had to also make sure that they were careful because God doesn't play favorites with race, God doesn't play favorites with, you know, class or status. God's justice is just, period. And so God said, listen, none of you guys want to be caught outside that night, okay? Don't be playing around. Like, stay inside. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to slaughter a lamb. I want you to share a meal together. And I want you to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost of your house. That's what he told all the Israelites to do. And so when, the, when that angel of justice or death passes by your house and sees the, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, that angel will pass over. And your house will be spared. And so nobody that night was saved because they were awesome. Like God, like I walked like two Egyptians, you know, older Egyptians down, you know, across the street, loving my enemy. Like none of them were saved because of their good works. They weren't saved because they were Jewish. They were saved only by the substitutionary sacrifice of this lamb and this blood that was shed. So Jesus is at the table with his disciples, and they got to be thinking like, hey, uh, so we got the bread, we got the wine, but where's the main course? Where's the lamb? And it kind of poses a question like, can a, can a lamb really stand in the gap for the sins of humanity? A lamb? Well, at this particular table, there was no lamb. The lamb of God was not on the table because the lamb of God was at the table. Yes. And so Jesus goes back and he says, hey, listen, this is the new covenant. Covenant is relationship. The only way that you would come back into a relationship with God is by the sacrifice of, uh, of the animals. 
That's the only way that you could be reconciled, that your sins would be paid for. Something had to pay. Something had to be slaughtered. A debt had to be given back. And and Jesus' language here, it's relationship language. He says, listen, just as you were reconciled back to God by the way of blood of the animals, you're right. Those animals weren't sufficient enough. Those animals were simply pointing to this moment. Those animals were simply pointing to me, the spotless lamb of God that would be slain for the sins of the world. And that's kind of tough because, like, let me show you a picture. Like, Lammy, come on. Like, why, why the lamb? This cute little thing. Little spotless lamb. Look at that face. Why not a cat? Come on. Come here, kitty. <laughs> Pay for my sins. But why a lamb? And it's like for, for, for just a quick little glimpse, we might be able to, to understand the heart of the Father as he was going to give away his precious, spotless, perfect, unblemished, innocent lamb to be slaughtered on behalf of sinful men and women. Just let that set in for a moment. Is it enough? Sometimes we're going so fast, we forget the cost. So my question to you in this particular point is how has the cost changed the way you live? See what you're sensing right now? The Spirit of God just opening up your eyes to, oh my goodness. We need to come back to this place often. And I promise you it'll change. It'll change the way you live. And then lastly, the cross reminds us that it was personal. It was personal. And if I can get that pad in the background too, Jeff, that'd be awesome. It was personal. And sometimes we think, yeah, Jesus died for the sins of the world, but have you forgotten that he died for your sins? If you've been in church for any amount of time, sometimes this stuff goes in one ear and out the other because you might have heard it so many times that you've lost sight and you've forgotten the death and the gravity of what it even means. I think it's so interesting. Jesus said it to his disciples. He said, listen, I so eagerly desire to eat this meal with you. Now, the language he uses in the original text, he says, I desire, so desire to eat this meal with you. It's almost as if Jesus was saying, I just, I want you to catch this so bad. I want you to see my grace. I want you to see my love. I want you to see my power. I want you to see that it's so personal. It's so personal. And he uses a meal. He uses a meal. I think it's so perfect because you you think about a meal, like I could tell you all the nutritional facts about the grapes. Not so much about Welch's. Lots of sugar, don't drink it. But I could tell you all the nutritional facts about the meal. And you could even know, like, man, I believe that's nutritious. I believe those grapes are good. And the wine, But until you 
do you consume me? Only you can do that. Your mom can't do that for you. Your grandmother can't do that for you. Your neighbor, they can't consume it for you. It's personal. It has to be consumed by you. And not only does it have to be consumed in order for you to benefit from the nutritional factors in it, but what's cool about a meal is, guess what? I had a meal this morning. I'm going to eat a meal in just a couple of minutes. And then I'm going to eat another meal tonight. See, a meal is something that we continuously eat. We continuously go back to. You never eat one meal and you're just done. Have all the nutritional facts for the rest of your life. That would be awesome. But that's not reality. And so the reality is, is that Jesus was looking at us. And look what he says here. Last passage. He says, and he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What was he saying? You got to remember over and over and over and over. What am I calling you to do? I'm calling you to remember over and over. Come back to that moment and remember and ask the question, Jesus, are you really at the center because that's where life is best lived? Come back and remember, have you restructured my relationship because I've been a jerk lately, right? You come back and say, man, I remember the cost and the sacrifice that was paid the next time you want to go and violate your relationship with God. And remember that it was so personal. See, it's not just what he did, but it's how we remember it that changes the game. Paul said it like this. He said, when you take communion, he said, because this is where we get communion from. This is it. And Paul says, when you take it, when you take of the bread and the cup, he says, examine your heart. Can I just tell you, if you understand the why, you can't help but examine your heart. Nobody's going to have to tell you. Paul is reminding us that we need to pause and we need to take this in and consume it. And Jesus is saying, when you do that, life is about to change. So can I just tell you today, the cross brings significance to suffering. If you're suffering today, you know, everybody looked at the cross and said, nothing good's gonna come out of that. Little did they know that God can bring great significance out of great suffering. If you're here today and you're just, you're in, you're, you feel like you're just in a disarray. Maybe there's, there's fear, maybe there's confusion. Maybe you're just, you're struggling with different things in life. Maybe you're in a relational mess. Maybe you're at the top of your game, but Christ isn't at the center. And so it's still empty and you're just wondering maybe the next hill, maybe the next hurdle. Can I just encourage you to remember, to remember him if you're taking notes, jot this down, to remember him because he hasn't forgotten you. Remember today, forgetting can cost you a lot. But if you can remember, 